Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. On this week's episode, I am joined by Chris Allaire. Chris is the CEO and founder of Averity, a specialist technology recruitment agency headquartered, well, originally headquartered in New York City, but is now all over the USA. They've got 30 employees, completely remote, post-pandemic, and they won the best staffing agency to work for by the staffing industry analyst, SIA, in 2022 in the 10 to 20 employees bracket. Chris Chris has got energy. This guy was a really big biller. Um, built, this is his eighth startup team project office, and he clearly comes with a pedigree of knowledge and confidence that has enabled him to grow a business in eight years to 30 employees, but also somewhere that is an incredible place to work. So in this episode, we break down Chris's career and his mindset around building a team and a business and what has made his organization the best place to work in the USA. So loads of information, loads of energy, loads of inspiration. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did recording it. Let's get into it. Without further ado, Chris, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. So uh, I'm very excited. We we've spoken a couple of times now. We did go back and forward trying to have an initial conversation with time zones and Christmas and all sorts. We struggled, but I'm delighted that I finally got you on the show. Um, Chris, for those who don't know you, I've obviously done an introduction, but it's pretty basic. Um, for those that don't know you, uh, please can you just give us the bird's eye view of you and the business today? Um, so. The in a nutshell would be I've uh, I started in recruiting and technology recruiting in the late '90s in 1998. Um, no, so very pre-real internet. No, Chris. Um, what I mean is, just tell us who you and Avati are now, and then we'll go back. Oh, okay. Um, so who? Uh, so I'm the CEO of Averity, uh, founder, president. You know, all the the, the kind of top of the totem pole. Yeah. Averity is a national. Uh, uh, technology recruiting and staffing firm. So we are um, your your traditional kind of contingency-based staffing firms. We do full-time and contract staffing, strictly in the tech sectors, everything from data engineering, security, DevOps, uh, software engineering, you know, those those types of fields. Wicked. How many people you got? We have about 30 people now. And you're all over the US, right? We are officially all over the US now. Wow. Yeah. We we, we spoke briefly just before the show and it sounds like my story and your story, whilst the, the businesses are different, they're very similar in the way we've gone about it. We'll get into that. Um, so I, I don't want to, this show is all about you as a business owner, right? It's not the recruit, it's not the recruitment consultant show. However, 
I am interested to know your a bit about your backstory. So you mentioned you started off by telling us when did you get into the industry? I got into the industry in 1998. Wow. So I think the how did that that come about? I'll be honest with you, it was kind of by accident. I answered a newspaper ad. I got out of school and um, I wanted basically I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I know I really was very extroverted. I like sales, so I answered an ad about that big in the newspaper. And I said, we're looking for entry-level salespeople. Um, I interviewed for an entry-level sales job. I got the job. And then after I accepted the position, I showed up for my day one of work. And I was like, great. So what do we actually do here? Like, what you know, I get to where it's high. I'm in, you know, basically Back Bay, Boston. Um, I got really excited by a lot of very enthusiastic uh, young people that all got to wear ties. And I got, you know, a, a small salary and some medical benefits that made my parents happy. And yeah. uh and that was, and now honestly, that's how I got into the industry. And now you once I really figured it out, that was a whole. Where are you from, Boston? I'm from New Hampshire, so wow. about 45 minutes north of Boston. Okay, and you went into Boston for work at the start of your career. I went into Boston for work to start my career. Yeah, sounds like my I I I went traveling to Australia, Melbourne, and um, I ended up living there. And I went from being a school teacher in in the UK, which I, is where I live now, in a place called Sheffield, to. Um, to working in this skyscraper with a suit and you know in in melbourne city center which probably you know looks quite similar to the u.s cities huge skyscrapers and i remember just thinking wow this is this is impressive um then i had to do the job and i found that quite difficult to be honest but um i uh, i took to it eventually but what tell me about your career how did your career evolve as, a, as an actual recruiter so um the first company i started with it was it was basically your standard cold calling center. So, you know, 300 calls a day connects, um, you know, a lot of fun, screaming, pitching on the phones and all that type of jazz. Um, I actually, I probably went a couple of months. I just, all of a sudden it clicked and I took to it like a duck to water and I started becoming very, very successful at it. Uh, I was promoted uh, within about a year, year and a half, something like that to build uh, these, one of the startup offices in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And this was during the dot-com boom. So uh, late nineties going into 2000. Uh, flourished in San Francisco, did very, very well out there, um, opened another office uh, as a manager and stayed there for a while. Uh, I was out in San Francisco for about three and a half, four years. Really, I loved the ride. Ended up moving, uh, relocated and, you know, continued in the in the sales, the staffing, you know, finance types of businesses. Moved, ended up in New York in 2007. I got a phone call from uh, the gentleman I used to work with who ran stuff in San Francisco. Uh, basically, along, you know, hey, Chris, we found out that you moved to New York. I'm thinking about starting my own recruiting company. You want to talk? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I do. We is sat down the, and we met and it was great. Talenter group, is it? It was called Talenter, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was the first person hired at Talenter and built – a uh, from scratch, you know, built another uh, another company and another office for you know under under another umbrella. Was Did it very very well, very successful, very quickly. So. Was your early career always in technology recruitment, or it's it always been in technology recruitment? Right. And it's always been uh, it's always been kind of a national national thing. Yeah, so. right. And then, so you your first employee for the Talent Group, and was that just was it just an employee role or would you give were you you know given any kind of equity or shares or anything like that um i was given um a small equity type position um more blood and sweat equity yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, more than anything else yeah um 
but I built the, for the most part, built New York office from scratch. Um, went out to, uh, got a, an offer, I guess you could say to move to Los Angeles to help, um, build the Los Angeles branch office and district. Wow. Um, so I went out there, did that. Um, didn't, I'm not a Los Angeles guy. So I was out there for about <laughs> well, a year and what, a half, you know, kind of reluctantly, but I did what I needed to do. So for listeners in the UK and Europe and things, what, what is a Los Angeles guy? Um, so you got New York and you got LA very opposite from each other. New York is all about the business, all about getting things done, all about like very fast paced, high energy, very direct. You know, you say something, you do something, you know, tomorrow is too late. You got to get it done this afternoon. Yeah, so yeah. you've got this kind of very, like, very high energy vibe to it. Right. Yeah, yeah, Los yeah. Angeles is very much the, Oh man, chill out, bro. And that's really not my style. <laughs> so I asked people like, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? You might want to swing by the office and meet with you. And I'm like tomorrow, like, God, like, I was like, why is tomorrow? No, is that, is that too soon? And they wanted to schedule things out with me like two weeks. They're like, Oh, let's get together like late next week. And I was like, what about tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, so I found the, um, just they didn't, the, let's just put it this way. The styles of business and communication styles are very different. Um, really didn't, really didn't jive with me all that well. I think in the UK, we've got that though. You've got like, you got London, which is like New York. You know, yeah. And then you got Manchester, I think it's like the second city but Birmingham, Manchester, you got a couple of cities that are similar, but they're, they're nowhere near the same pace. And then you've got other places, which like where I live in Sheffield, will be more similar to, it's not LA, but it's not, yeah, things don't move, but because we're remote, we work anywhere. It doesn't matter where we live. The business is still predominantly London anyway. And, you know, and I think the recruitment industry, because that's my client base, right? Like you, you guys are my client base. I think regardless of where you are, they typically move pretty quick, pretty fast paced. Um, but I, uh, I can empathize with it. I was in LA last year. I went there in September for a week and uh, I was at conferences and things. And I'll be honest, I absolutely loved it. I don't know if I could live there, but I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was so cool. Um, but okay, so you go out there, you do, you, you set up the LA office for Talent Group. And then yeah. and then in 2011, you did you start your own business, Cybercoders? Is that what No, I so uh, so ended up moving back to New York. Um, mm -hmm. So I got married when I was in LA. Um, my wife and I were just like, we just said, we don't want to start our life together in Los Angeles. So we wanted to move back to New York. So I went back to New York. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, I just didn't, I didn't really like the way things were going with Talenter. So I decided yeah. to, to, uh, to exit the company. Um, was pretty heavily recruited to start something over at CyberCoders. So I got hired to start the New York division at CyberCoders. Right. So started there in 2011. Um, built the New York kind of district, if you will. I had about 15 people at one point working for me out there. Right. And, um, and I did that for, I can't remember, it was about two, two and a half years, something like that. And that's what, as I was working there, I really appreciated a lot of technology. I appreciate a lot of the, the advertising techniques, but there's a lot of things I just, through all my, my career, I kind of started realizing that there's a lot of different ways that recruiting can be done. And in my opinion, should have been done. And I kept bringing ideas up to the table and everybody actually used to tell me, they're like, wow, these are really good ideas. And I was like, awesome. Are we going to implement these? And the answers were pretty <laughs> funny because a lot of it was like, well, no, we're not going to do it. And I was like, well, that doesn't really make any, any, any sense to me. So I was like, that's it. You know what? I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of, um, you know, pushing someone else's snow. I, I think it's time for me to go out and do this on my own. 
Yeah. Um, and that's how that's how Averity was born. I, wow. you know, so that's kind of the roundabout where I got to Averity. And then starting that was a whole different. Well, let's get into that. So yeah. I think, I think, you know what, it's so common that, you know, I've interviewed over 200 and probably 250 people, recruitment owners in my, in my career now on the show, no, not including all the conversations I have every day outside of it. Um, and I'd say that is one of the most common reasons people just, they, for whatever reason, they just, their path with the journey, the, the their journey and the journey of the company they work for just start to derail. And that that kind of pushback on on, on innovation and ideas, you know, is, is very common. And, it, and you know, it usually shows a sign of an entrepreneur if, if you're thinking about improving a business. So many employees just don't, they just get on with it. They don't, they don't, they don't think about those things. They just, you know, they just want to take a paycheck every month. And you, you were thinking that way. So I get it. So Take us back to that time where you make that decision. I'm going on my own. And, and then what was the journey like? How did you come up with the name? That kind of stuff. So uh, I was in Puerto Rico. Right. Never been I, there, but sounds wicked. I go to, I, funny thing is I go to Puerto Rico frequently. I was just there last week. Oh, wow. Um, the, uh, so I was out there and I was actually speaking to you know, uh, my father-in-law and, and some, some family friends and such. And I was talking about business and my father-in-law said to me, he's like, Chris, I don't understand why you haven't started your own company yet. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, appreciate that. Not as easy as you think it is. About two days later, I was talking to a family friend and he said the exact same thing. He was like, so why don't you start your, why don't, why don't you have your own company? And at that point I was like, you know what? I'm like, there's something there. I should probably like the fact that two people that are very educated and, and have a lot of experience and wisdom shared this with me is probably something I should probably start thinking about doing. And when I got back, I started putting pen to paper and I was like, you know what? I think I can do this mm -hmm. and talk to my, so at the time, my daughter who is now 10 or is about to be 10 was six months old. Right. Um, got back home, looked at my wife and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to start my own company. And my wife is arguably one of the most amazing women I've ever met. She looked at me and she said, I think it's about time. So I was kind of shocked to get that support and also like the, the push over the cliff of like, nope, you're going. And I was like, oh, you got okay. validation. You got validation, right? I got, oh, I got, I got, I got, yeah, validation is all right. So I thought she was going to talk some sense into me. She just, <laughs> she just, she just threw me off the, off the boat. Um, so I liquidated my 401k. I put enough money aside to make sure that the family was fed. Can and you that we're going to be a good that means? Like in the UK, we don't know what 401 401k uh, is. like retirement savings. Right. So you, you, it's like a pension. And you're, you can yeah. literally just cash it in whenever you want. Is there no like limit? No, you get, you got to pay taxes on it and, and penalties and such, you know, basically it's tax, it's tax deferred earnings. Yeah. Um, so if you decide to take it out and liquidate it, you, you have to pay taxes on it. So I said, you know, let's liquidate yeah. this thing. I've got some money in there. Let's liquidate this yeah, thing. Yeah, make yeah. sure my house is taken care of. Make sure my family's fed. Um, and in May I, uh, I officially got, um, started the business. So does, so, that mean your does that mean your retirement income was at risk though? So if it's this- Oh yeah, was, everything, yeah, everything was at risk at that point. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I had no, there's a lot of things that, that it takes to start a company that a lot of people don't talk about. Yeah. So it's a really interesting story to like actually get it going and the mistakes that you make and the journey to, to really learn how to do things. Because hmm. um, nobody wants to, there's a lot of things out there that nobody really wants to tell you that you have to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been able to, I've been very fortunate enough to learn from those things. And I've actually passed a lot of my knowledge and experience onto other people and help them start their business. Um, but a lot of it's, you know, you got to cut your teeth on some things. So, but the name of the company, uh, Averity, 
is a spin on my daughter's name, my oldest daughter, who her name is Avery. Right. So just threw an IT in the middle of Avery and came up <laughs> with the name of Verity. I like it. Yeah. So it doesn't have any true meaning. It's not like a Latin so, word. No, it's actually um, Avery. The, the name Avery itself has um, it's uh, has to do with like wisdom and knowledge. Right. So a Verity kind of has a, a spin on, on something like that. Because it's a name. Verity is a name, isn't it? Just Verity without A. Uh, I I'd be honest with you, I believe it is, but I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know any verities, but it's definitely a name you hear of. Um, love it. I, I mean, I always ask the question because it's just always different. Everyone's got their own story behind it, right? Um, so you start the business. What what month and year was it? Remind me. Uh, officially kicked off May of 2014. Right. So how did you get it going? What was it? Just you in a room in your, in your house or what? Take us my laptop. Paint, paint the picture. My laptop uh, on my dining room table, and I started pinging my network of people that I had built over the years. And I just said, hey, I've decided to go in on my own. Are you interested? Hmm. And I heard back from almost every single person I had reached out to and then said, absolutely, Chris. As in, and it was really interesting because I had some people that I had been doing business with for years. I actually had a lot of people turn around and tell me, like, it's. I had a lot of people, clients tell me like, wow, it's about time. I had a CTO that I've been doing business with for years. And he was like, Chris, I'll be honest with you. I've loved working with you, but I can't stand the companies you worked for. So the fact that you're now on your own is awesome. And I started getting business just. Did you not have any non-compete? Um, enough of a non-compete. I couldn't go after all my old, like current clients. Yeah. But I, these are people that I'd known for years. I mean, these yeah. are people that I had lunch and drinks with and, you know, yeah. for, for 10 years. Yeah. So most of them were, you know, whether I had been doing business with them or not, they're all great contacts of mine. And so we always got along, but, um, yeah. So to have them all reach out to me and be like, yeah, Chris, like, let's go. Like, I'm excited to do work with you. It was, it was pretty awesome. Sounds it. Sounds amazing. So how did it go then? What was your, this all sounds really easy, right? You sit there, you're you're down on the table, you ping out some messages. Everyone wants to work with you. What was it really like? Um, you get a lot of stuff. You get you got to manage your time effectively. I think the biggest thing for me was I, I had all the, the correct reasons why I wanted to start my company. So I made sure to stick to those things. At the time, you're just honestly, it's like, listen, I just need income. So I'm like, at this point, it's like, I need money. So I took whatever you could get your hands on that I knew I could turn quickly that was going to create income. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some really good clients that I hadn't, I hadn't talked to in a little while. And, you know, they're so different story but they had reached out to me They're like chris now that you're no longer with these guys like here's a bunch of jobs where we need filled get them going asap and i filled um six or seven of them pretty quickly they were contract positions and i uh i had worked through a like an outsource payroll provider so i did the outsource payroll i paid the fees associated with that and then all yeah. of a, so next thing i know i was like within two or three yeah. months i had okay. a pretty good substantial uh contract revenue coming in i was like okay I've got a good baseline coming in, feeling pretty good about things. I did a couple of full-time placements as well. So I got some revenue there and I was like, all right, now I had a good baseline foundation of income money that I was like, all right, now I want to springboard the company. So I got so, an office in New York and. Sorry to interrupt, but one thing I've picked up already is that, you know, this is not the first time you've built a desk or a business a desk and a team right so you you're going into what your third or fourth 
like startup phase really i have done sean eight startups wow yeah eight startups either brand new offices or brand new companies right so for people well, listening, i'm a startup man. junkie is yeah for, for people no listening. More, but i am a startup <laughs> junkie as some people call what do, what do you think what resilience or knowledge do you think that gave you in the early phase of a verity that made made things go well because if that was the first time since maybe your first day in recruitment, you know, and that's what a lot of people go through. They, they, they do really well as a biller. They've been in a similar role. They've not had to grow a new desk for a long, long time. And they doubt themselves. You know, they think, fuck, can I do this again? Do I want to do it again? Like, you know, as you, you can like this serial go out to San Francisco, LA, New York, doesn't matter. Go out and build it. You kind of coming in with a formula. So what, what did that look like for you? Uh, the biggest thing I knew was my reputation. My personal reputation was everything. Mm. And I just kind of stuck with that. You know, and I think my reputation in New York and the technology sectors for the areas I was specialized in was impeccable. Mm. And I had a very large ownership over my market. And so for me, it was just a belief system that said, no, this is my market. I own it and I'm going to jump right into it and, and I'm going to take it over again. Um, a lot more risk on the table, but I knew that at this point, the nice thing is when you're when it's your own name, some people would say like, well, if it was my own name, it's my own company, I would do it differently. I didn't say that. I said, it's my own name. I'm going to do it the exact same way I've always done it, which is it's my name. It's my reputation. Because I've always said to people, first, you represent yourself, you represent your family, and then you represent your company. Right. And especially in sales and a service-oriented industry, they're going to remember my name before the company name. Yeah, I agree. So if their experience working with Chris Allaire somewhere else was awful, it doesn't matter what company I work for. So, or as I like to say, is like, they don't care what name is really on the business card, like what logo is on the business card. They know who they're doing business with. So for me, I was always, I just said to myself, like, I need to stick true to what I know how to do. I need to stick true to myself, my belief system, and just, and just what stay do you think at that, it. What do you think is, again, sorry to keep going. I'm really fascinated by what you've said. What, how would you define you as the recruiter? What's the, what's the belief system or the DNA that made you successful that always made you successful that you took with you into this endeavor? Like what, what were you kind of like your fundamentals as a recruiter? On it, I mean, it's weird to say this, but like, I, it's so funny to say this because a lot of people think of it that like, it's common sense. So everyone does this. So like, actually, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Honesty, ethics, morals, and transparency. Yeah, I said what I did and I, and I did what I said. If yeah. I knew that an offer was coming out and I knew the number was not going to be anywhere near what someone was looking for, I would just let them know. Yeah. You know, I also called out people. There's a lot of times, you know, the hard close, or you have to make a decision this afternoon on the job. I used to tell people, like, first of all, you don't have to make a decision this afternoon on the job, nor do I think you should. Yeah. Right. Other people are going to tell this to you. I don't do that. I think you should take a minute and think about it. Yeah. Right. Make an educated decision because I don't want you to have buyer's remorse. This is a job. This is not, you know, buying a, a, you know, a book or a new phone, right? This is a career opportunity and you need to make the right decision. So I just always put out there like that. And then everyone said to me, like, wow, you made it so much easier for me. You really treated me like a human being and you respected who I was first and then everything else second. And that was, that was my X factor in it. I was like, you know what? The experience of working. There are five major impact points in someone's life that are very emotional to them. There's a wedding, there's a birth, there's a death. Uh, there's buying a house as we just talked about earlier. Right. And there's finding a job. Yeah. 
And those are very stressful points for people. Yeah. So having an impact on one of those stressful times, I took very, I took very seriously. And I really helped my, my goal was just to guide people. And the better I did it, the more they looked at me as a value added resource and less of a closer. Um, there's times I told people, it was like, I don't think you should take the job. I think you should take the other job. Hmm. And they looked at me like, who would do that? And I was like, well, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I want you to take the job for me because yeah, it's a commission for me, but I don't like the job that's over here. It's paying more money. It's a better job. I'll be honest with you. It's a better company. I'm like, I wouldn't, I'm like, honestly, yeah. I'd take that job. And there was a lot of times that people said to me, like, but over a career that pays off, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I can. Re I always talk about one example because I was very similar to you in my seven years. You know, I was, I used to take pride in my name and my, I, I wouldn't represent candidates that I didn't 100% believe in. And I'd say, mm -hmm. you know, especially in contract where a lot of recruiters will just gobble up as many candidates as they can in 12 hours, tell every single one of them they're going to represent them just so they don't go to, an, to, to a competitor. And then they'll pick the three or four they want, and everyone else is in the dark, you know. I used to prefer to say, I'm not going to represent you. I, I genuinely, you're not, you're not on my shortlist. And, and that means you can go elsewhere. And I remember this one guy I was recruiting for, this fucking really aggressive um, Scottish guy. And, and this candidate came to me who was perfect on paper. I mean, like literally perfect. And I said, when we met, I said, you're right for this job on paper, but you're not right in person. You know, you're not. You're not going to get on with him. He's going to eat you alive. And I don't want to waste my time or yours, so I'm not going to represent you. And he said, you know what? He shook my hand. He said, no one has ever, ever told me that as a recruiter. No one's ever been that honest. I said, well, that's how I work. Anyway, same day, the guy sends his CV to my competitor, who then gets him involved, gets an interview the next day. The guy gets the job and stays there for four years. <laughs> so I got it completely wrong. But I'll never forget that example because over a career, that's the only time I got it wrong. You know, yeah. I got it. I did that so many times um, and it usually paid off. So I can, you know what? There's there's so many people in this industry that don't do the basics. They just don't do the basics and it's fucking basics. I tell you, that's a, um, my biggest thing is, is there's transactional business and then there's relationship business. Yeah. The relationship business is going to, the relationship business is going to pay you for the rest of your career. Hmm. The transactional business is going to pay you tomorrow. Yeah. 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 I'd rather be paid the rest of my career. Hmm. I, I was, it, it's easier to build it first the right way than to rebuild it constantly over time. Yeah. I and agree. I've seen people and they're just, they're, it's transactional. They treat people like a number. Um, and that's why there's a lot of turnover and that's, you know, that Sherman Burnham mentality. Um, you know, I've heard, I've heard all those expressions and I was just like, I, I can't stand it. I drove me nuts. I was just like, I don't want to be associated with any of that. I want to just, I like what I do. I genuinely enjoy it. I just want to love my job and the better I do, the more it's going to impact people around me, everybody, they know they're going to tell everybody they're like, Oh, you got to talk to my recruiter. Yeah. I've placed the same people five, six times in, yeah. in my career in, in 10, 15 years. Um, I've seen them go from junior developer all the way to CTO. Yeah. And when they've, and I've placed as a CTO and then they hired their entire team for me. I had a, a guy that I've known for probably about 15 years get a job at a, at a pretty large company. Um, unfortunately, you know, someone else beat me to the punch. So yeah, he, got he was represented by another firm, got the job. When he got the job as a director, he called me and said, Hey, Chris, I landed the job. You probably already know this. I need to hire an entire team of people. Um, can you, can you staff them for me? And of course I was like, of course I can. Yeah, the funny yeah. thing is I asked him, I was like, 
by the way, who placed you in the job anyways? Who got you in there? And he was like, I don't really know. I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> so I said that was like, I was like, you know what? That says a lot to me. And the yeah. fact that someone else placed you there, you don't even know who it was. And then you're calling me to, to place people with you. And I placed like five people with them. Yeah, and so that's they, always, it's always, I love that stuff. And it's always, I feel like it's always been that way for me. I'm just like, you know what? Like slow yeah. and steady wins the race. Like play the long game and you're always going to come out ahead. I like it. I wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to update you on what it is I actually do all day, apart from the Rag Podcast, of course. Now, most of you know from the episodes that I am the founder of Hoxo, right? What you probably don't know is that we're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies and over 4,000 of their recruiters around the world in every continent and helping these businesses brand themselves and the people in the company better. Now, we have built a creative team over the last six years that helps manage the creation of new agency brands. Obviously, the, a lot of the listeners in the RAG are starting their businesses uh, for the first time. But more often than not, we rebrand tired companies. So many businesses we work with are smashing it when it comes to revenue and performance, but their website and their online story was built back when they started for like 500 quid, and it just does not represent who they are today. So we believe getting that right becomes your, building a brand becomes your anchor. Now, every good brand also needs traffic, right? You need people to see it, to come to the website, see you online, and that's where your people come in. So we work to either manage the personal brands of your team, or we can teach you how to build the brand yourselves. All of it is designed to give you consistency on LinkedIn that helps you stand out from the competition show your personality, show and add value, and ultimately make more money. Now, I personally speak to potential new customers along with my business partner, Amma. So I would love to spend some time with you, my RAG listeners that I potentially don't even know yet. Any of you that are interested in building a brand that's fit for purpose in 2023 and beyond, come and speak to us. Just click the link in the show notes, fill in the form, and we will be in touch with you within 48 hours to book a 30 minutes video call ASAP. Right, back to the show. So let's go back to where we were, right? So you, you've just got your contract book. You've got a base. You've got a baseline of revenue. You're how how long is this? A couple of months into the journey? Probably five six months now. All right. So let's say you're six months in, and then it's time to think. Right, you said I'm going to springboard the business, and then I I interjected. Yeah. Well, let's take it on from where we were. So it's funny. The um, I told two people I was starting my own company when I did it. One of them was the the story of the CTO I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's working out in his in his building gym and meets a guy that they're having a conversation in the gym. And he's the guy says, um, this guy's name is Matt, who is now my COO. Let's put it this way. Hmm. Says, I've been thinking about getting into technology recruiting. The CTO, who's a good friend of mine named Jason, says, you should talk to my recruiter. He's just started his own company. So this is like April or May of 2014. I have no money. So I'm like, so the introduction happens. Um, and I meet Matt and, you know, we go up for, uh, you know, for coffee in, in the city yeah. and we're hanging out. And I'm like, I'll be honest with you, man. I have no money. I have really no plan right now other than like, I have a plan of what I want to build and what's going to happen. And he's like, that's no problem. So we just keep up with each other. Finally, like enough time. I think it was in August of uh, finally got some money, some revenue, um, I meet with him. I'm like, I can hire you. Um, <laughs> you're going to take an extraordinary pay cut. I can't give you a computer. I don't have any benefits. 
What do you think? And he's like, I'm in. I was like, you're out of your mind. So he starts with me. And uh, that was in August of 2014. And um, I got a space in a, uh, I got a small WeWork office in in Midtown. I taught him everything I, everything I know. Um, He was an insurance litigation attorney. So never, not a diamond recruiting. Which but is he's a smart, of, of, super yeah, smart. Yeah, very guy. like that's kind of my hiring story. It's the way my I build teams, and we can talk about that. But um, he's same thing. He I, I taught him everything I know. He listened to everything I did, and just basically copied it, and became extremely successful very quickly. And we bounced each other really well. Um, he's got a now he's now he's my COO. So it was him and I alone together for better part of a year and a half or something like that. Um, And then I started building the company from there. Um, The next hire I made was now, he's now a a director for me. He's been with me for, I want to say seven years, maybe something longer than that. He was a, um, his name is Patrick. I met him when I was at CyberCoders. And the funny thing is I wanted to hire him then because I really liked him. I was like, this guy's a really smart guy. And I know he's very driven. Um, but I knew I was leaving. I knew I had a feeling at the time. I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a cyber as much longer. I don't think it's fair mm. that I try to hire this guy and knowing that I'm, I've, I've already got an exit strategy. So I called him and it was about two years later at this point. And he was still at his same job, still trying to break into sales. No one really let, gave him the opportunity. Um, met with him, talked to him and hired him. And now he's uh, one of my directors. Wow. So that's how the kind of the, the story of a Verity really started. So you're doing contingent, you're contingent recruitment on your own, you're building a base, and then you start hiring. So by the end of year one, what revenue did you generate? And how many people did you hire? I had one other person with me. So it's just two of us and did about year one, probably a little shy of a million dollars in revenue. Yeah. It's a pretty cool year, right? And you probably not that year at all, yeah. Yeah. What did your wife say at the end of the year when she because she gave you that push? Was she like, I told I believed in you, I told you so. What was what was the reaction? I think the biggest thing she always um I'm trying to think of this. I think a lot of the same things she says to me now is like very proud of me. Um kind of an in old like she does it to me, she works very closely with me now because she's a she's a, a coach, she's a life coach, so right. she's my partner in so many different ways yeah um i think she looks at me and she says the same things it's um very proud of what you did you should be very proud of yourself it's extraordinary watching you in action and never a doubt in my mind that you are going to be amazing at what you did i love that love that what was the hardest thing about the start then because it does sound pretty good it, i'll be honest your journey sounds pretty a million dollars a year uh, one it sounds pretty good there is um there are so many nuances in in starting the business. First of all, um, understanding, um, you don't get paid right away. <laughs> so a lot of people forget that they're like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, so you have to, you're going to take on an extraordinary amount of debt yeah. when you first open your business. So if you're, cre- you need to make sure you've got good credit and a good credit line mm. on a credit card that you know, for a fact might go belly up. Yeah. So, because there's companies that like they're, you know, you've got to hope that you get paid within 30, 60, 90 days from some of these firms. So you've got to make sure you're balanced to a point where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're structured in such a way. Um, other things were big, you know, nuances starting the business or, you know, when you're hiring someone on a salary is full time, you know, you could manage the payroll. You know, that's, um, 
there's a lot of things that go into managing payroll that a lot of people don't talk about, you know, the amount of taxes and, and et cetera, um, setting up benefits programs, you know, very expensive, um, shopping these things around, you know, there's, it, there's a lot of nuances, you know, mm -hmm. then it's like, you know, the, the infancy of the website, you know, it's like, whatever, I went to godaddy.com, I bought, bought the domain, built, you know, this little website. And then over the years, it's kind of morphed into, you know, a pretty big SEO, you know, presence for us and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's, I think in the first wave of other hires, you know, it's a lot of risk, a lot of reward. Um, because they're out there building business for a company that no one's ever heard of before. Hmm. And I'm not hiring people who have a book of business. I'm hiring people who've never been in the business and I teach them how to do the business. So is every it's single not like they're like, hey, it's you know, hey, it's Chris. Yeah. They're like, oh, Chris, thank God for calling me. They're like, hi, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what I do. You have no idea what company I work for. You want to do business. Yeah, yeah. And that's a that's tough. And uh that's tough. So was your strategy two things? We we were you always gonna grow a headcount-based business. It was never gonna be just you rain making a million dollars with like a couple of yeah. assistants. Was it always going to be a, a I was, I'm a, I'm, yeah. my pride as a CEO is a, as a builder, not a builder. I enjoy right. building. It's a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but I enjoy building, managing and letting things flourish underneath me. Yeah. 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 So a gardener. Um, so you something. always knew that. And then in terms of the strategy around headcount and hiring, was it, was it always going to be inexperienced people like that raw talent rather than going yeah. out and head? So my, my entire base on hiring people is very, is very simple. I hire amazing human beings that are that are moldable and teachable and i can teach them what they need to know so whole thing about it, it's like the x's and o's of this job i don't think are very difficult i mean it's it, it's it's you know you find a job you find a candidate you put them together right i mean I'm, there's a lot more to it than that however i can teach you the business but i can't teach you how to be an awesome person i can't teach you honesty i can't teach you integrity i can't teach you ethics i can't teach you um follow through i can't teach you any of that either you have it or you don't so what I look for in people are the intangible resources that they're going to bring to my company and my team. They're going to represent me and my firm. And I know that when they get on the phone with somebody and they start talking, people are like, wow, you're a really good person. I want to do business with you. The X's and O's of the job I'll teach you. So I enjoy hiring people that have got really good B2B experience that have understood that that has maybe a job or two jobs and they understand I don't really like what I'm doing. I don't know where my career is going here. I know I really enjoy this, that, and the other, but I'm not, I haven't really found myself yet. So I've taken people from all walks of life, taught them my job and taught them and they've flourished in my company better than people I've known that have been in the business for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So to, let's go through that then. So year two, there's two a year. How did the, how did the business move forward then? Um, pretty swiftly, actually. So it was a lot of fun. It was just the two of us. We had a lot of business mm -hmm. coming in. We we're closing a lot of business. I built some great clients. You know, some uh, some very large brand name firms in New York, which are awesome. Um, hardest thing was just like we were interviewing people and trying to find someone to hire, and then finally um, found Patrick and, and hired Pat, um, who did the same thing. You know, did very very well. Then after that was just, it was kind of some trial and error on the first waves of, of hiring some people. And I think, you know, you got to understand that, you know, you're taking a risk on people, but people are also taking a risk on you. 
oh, as a very small business, very startup, you know, really, you know, at the time, you know, there's three of us in an office, you know? So, and then the fourth person walks in, they're like, oh, you're like, yeah, your company just grew by 25% like this morning. So it's a, you've got to understand that like some people look at it and they say like, wow, this sounded really neat when I interviewed with you guys, but all of a sudden they walk in, they're like, literally, it's just the three of you. It's just the two of you. And you're like, yeah, that's it. Like we didn't, I didn't, I wasn't kidding when I interviewed you and I told you this is what we're doing. Hmm. So then all of a sudden it's like, why didn't, this is a lot. And then, so some people are very entrepreneurial and they see it and like, wow, this is a phenomenal opportunity. Other people, you know, look at it and they're like, this is fun. I like it, but not, you know, not really my cup of tea. Yeah. So the first wave of hires um, were, uh, most of the first wave of hires didn't work out. You know, yeah. for for one thing or another. Um, did you I, find it, did you find it different hiring on your own money with your own brand than you did working in those firms where you were building offices for other people? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I think much more. You take it a little bit more personal when you're hiring somebody because I know they're representing myself, and I know they're representing my company. So I know like every time they touch somebody, you no, know, that's my reputation. And a reputation is very easy to destroy. It takes a long time to build a reputation. It takes two seconds to to destroy it. So I took that very seriously with the people I was talking to. And there are some times I looked at people and I was like, it was weird because I remember interviewing some people. And I was like, I don't trust you. You know, I didn't tell them that, but I was like, I don't trust this person at all. Or I remember hearing some people talk and I was just like, no, you're, I know what you're going to do. And you can probably, you can close the deal, but I don't need, I don't need someone that's going to be handing out transactions with live hand grenades. I'm not interested in that right now. So you take it a little bit more seriously. You take a little bit more to heart for really what these people represent for your company when it's, yeah. when it's your own name. Do you know what I found, though, as well, a little bit? I don't know if you, you might disagree with me, but I found it a bit flattering. I found it a bit more flattering when it was my own firm. Like, I was a little bit like people wanted to work for me. It's like, wow. Like, I was kind of – I think I was a bit less I, – I had more due diligence in the firm I worked for because – it wasn't about me and my, it was just, it was someone. So I did, I did it all correctly. Whereas when it was my own firm at the, in the early days, I got really excited when people wanted to work for me. And I think I missed some of the most easy things to check, even though I've been in recruitment for so long, you know? So I made some really bad decisions early on. And I think it was, I couldn't believe people wanted to work for us. I was just like, fucking hell, we're this startup with no reputation yet. People want to join. Therefore I probably saw, I probably created a reason they should work for me in my own head, which yeah. is, which was not good. It didn't work out. And I've, I've learned the hard ways. Siri doesn't even have an answer for that. So that's not good. Um, okay. So what was at the end of the second year? Can you remember how you'd, you'd gone through a wave of hires, but where were you at at that point? So actually it was probably taking like the, the third year is really when, um, right. when the growth really kicked in. Um, yeah. So the third year is when I, I had actually three, f four or five people, something like that. Um, got another office. But basically, yeah, the office we started with, there was two of us in a small office. So I got a bigger office. So hmm. four of us could fit in it. Then I got another bigger office. So six of us could fit in it. And so it wasn't until like, I think I, so I started in 14. You know, if I fast forward to 2016, I had 2016, 2017, something like that. I think at one point we had, a, I think, six, six people. Um, I think it's worse. I think it's really when things really started to, to accelerate. It really wasn't until like 2016. So what, was um, it, what, what, what changed at that point? Market share. So I had really, I think my biggest thing was making sure that things were slow and steady wins the race. Like I needed to make sure that the, you know, always make sure that we had money in the bank, that things were safe, 
you know, I didn't want unconditional growth. I wanted like a nice controlled environment where everyone loved what they did and they were coming to work. I'm like, wow, this place is awesome. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Mm. We get to help people find jobs, et cetera. So I knew there was going to be a space in the, in the data, data engineering, data science. I knew this was coming up pretty strong. And this is 2016. And obviously it is what it is now, you know, the big data and things like that. So I was really helping Matt and working with Matt. I was like, listen, we're going to open a different division of the company that's going to do nothing but data stuff. I want you to, I want you to lead this if this is what you want to do. And he's like, yeah, I definitely want to. So kind of, I was going to say split, but I gave him data to grow and manage. And we hired two people underneath him over there. And then I took, and then I had two people underneath me and I was still doing you know, backend software engineering. And so that's how we built two different teams. And that's the kind of the, that's how the company kind of grew after that. Right. So um, out of all those people that I hired at that time, none of them, oh, only Matt and, and Pat are still here. Uh, none of right. them are still here anymore. So wow. Well, yeah, um, it's just natural turnover, right? Yeah, it's just it happens. You know, other people. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's it's environment. You know, you walk into a room of, you know, five people. You know, I get it. Some people are like I needed something bigger. I want something a little bit more, you know, stable, mm. um, better benefits, better salary. And I was like, I totally understand it. You know, I'm, there's not much. Yeah. It is what it is. So, so when did you start? When did you start? feeling like you could take your foot off the gas when it comes to being the main producer because that again is a big challenge for businesses where i spoke to a guy two days ago and you know 2.5 million in revenue 11 staff but 60 percent is him so i'm like you know those 11 staff are generating four, 10 staff are generating 40 percent which and and actually when when he when he pinpointed it every role they fill still comes through him so he's not he's doing the whole thing right um yeah. in some way shape or form so where I imagine you, you experienced some of this and how did you get through that? No, it's interesting. So I, I am not a control freak by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a micromanager mm. and I, the people that work for me, I really trust them. Yeah. And I know that by growing a business, the only way you can grow this thing is you have to teach people how to do it and then give them the opportunity to do it. So honestly, when it came for me to grow the business, I wasn't really worried about, I didn't want to be the main producer. I knew it was like, I can't do everything myself. I'm like, I need you guys to step up and do this. And the only way this is going to happen is if I instill you with the tools and the trust to do this job. And that's really what I did. And I was like, you know what? It's not a big deal if you, you can't really fail. You know, it's not, there's not a lot of things you can do in the recruiting industry that, that are, that are, you're going to become a failure, right? Um, you're going to feel like some days are, are not so great, but for the most part, you know, you know, this is not a, it's not a life or death job. Um, you know, you may make a mistake. You may call someone the wrong name. You may quote the wrong salary. You may, um, you know, again, but these are things that if you're hiring the right people, they're, they know that they don't lie. They don't cheat and they don't yeah. steal. So they're not going to lie about, Oh, I got this great candidate, you know? Uh, and they're like, where is the great candidate? You're like, I don't know. Let me find them for you. It's like, we never did that. It was, wasn't these like bait and switch types of things. Yeah. So my biggest thing was that like, I knew off the bat. So really it was like 16 into 17 that I, the more business came into me, the more I passed out. So all mm -hmm. the business kind of funneled through me and I was like, no, like, Hey, listen, I'm going to put, you know, this person in charge of this account. I'm going to put this person in charge. So I wanted more of the business to get funneled out. So they felt successful and they were making more money. And then obviously that's like, so the more they're doing, the less I have to do. Now I can focus on running the company, managing the business, you know, growing the business the the correct way as opposed to 
you know, getting back on the phone with clients and smiling, and dialing. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So at what point did you, did you start to step up and, and you, and you felt like you maybe didn't have to bill as much? It was really like 17, 2017, 2018. Yeah. Um, 2018, we went through a good acceleration of hiring. I hired um, a gentleman I know who's one of my partners now, Alex. Uh, he was self-employed doing his own thing as a biller for 15 years or something like that. Right. And we had always like known each other. So we kept up with each other. And then basically, long story short, he called me and he was like, I love what you're doing. I don't. I know that I'm never going to get where I want to go if I continue to be self-employed by myself. I want to join you. And I said, Awesome. Come on in. So he took his book of business, started with me. I hired someone to work. So he started a, a new team for, for DevOps. I hired someone to work underneath him. So now I had three teams. I had a team that was doing software engineering that I was running. I had a team that was doing data, data science, data engineering. And then now I started this DevOps enterprise. So hired people to now fill the, the gaps on those teams. Um, and that was, uh, in 2018, 18. 2018, I hired, I can't remember how many people now, 2018, the core of my company that's currently here today started in and around that time. And is everyone on were they 360 in, in those days or was it, they were filling jobs that you were providing? No, it was still a lot of business development. Everyone's responsible for building their own desk. Um, and you know, so you're doing client development account management and recruiting. So we right. still run a, a full desk yeah, yeah, opportunity yeah. in the company. So going into COVID, we talked about it briefly, Oof. right? You were New York city based office based yeah. organization, right? Can you take yeah. us back to that time? What oh, did the company look like in February, 2020? Oh my goodness. We had just moved into this gorgeous brand new office space in Midtown on 36th and 5th with a view of the empire state building, top floor, wow. like everything you wanted, right? I had three teams humming. We had probably 15 of us in the office. Hmm. Um, I had a short-term lease that I was about to renegotiate to a long-term lease. So lucky that didn't work out. Um, and everybody's happy and, and all that kind of stuff. So March, and we're in New York. So the epicenter of, of COVID is now starting to happen. So hmm. March 13th, Friday the 13th. Yeah, I remember that was we the day we closed our as a team and we say, okay, like this is uh, we're all going to go home. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to let this thing, you know, settle down for a couple of weeks. I'll see you guys in April. It's funny because at the time going back to Puerto Rico, I was the next day I was on a flight to Puerto Rico because I was like, I'm going away to vacation. I'm going to be gone for you know a week or a week and a half, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. When I get back, you know, the, the world will be straight again. And you know, this, this little virus will be gone and back to business as usual. I land in Puerto Rico and like two days later, all of a sudden, all the Slack messages start coming in. You know, I've got COVID, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I ended up, um, we ended up being in, I ended up, my wife and I were in Puerto Rico for almost three weeks. Um, because honestly, like we couldn't get back. So all the flights got canceled. Um, everything went to quarantine. Everything went to shutdown. So we, uh, did I lose you? I can, I've got you. I think you, all right. Yeah. Everything just kind of, it was funny. Like everything just kind of froze around here. Maybe so, um, <laughs> so we all went into, um, so we went to lockdown. So I got back mainland in late April. Um, 
made some phone calls, went back to the office to like check things out. And New York was desolate. Yeah. It wasn't a human being to be found anywhere. It was, I, it was nuts. I couldn't, I've never seen anything. I couldn't even imagine anything like it. It's the cleanest I've ever seen in New York. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no trash anywhere because nobody was out there anymore. Uh, and so I met with my two partners and we really started looking at, you know, his finances and we're like, man, we like, okay, like we got to start, we grab a pail. We got to start bailing water out of this boat. Like this is. This who, are you, is who are your two partners? So um, my, my CEO, Matt, my first hire yeah. and Alex, who, right. um, who ran the DevOps stuff, who started DevOps. Right. So, so you, you sit down and you're like, what, what, what was your, what was your first reaction? What the hell do we do? Yeah. Uh, this is when PPP was just kind of starting coming out. So we couldn't bank on it. Yeah. But we we're like, listen, like we got to apply for PPP. And, and we had to really look, we had to really look at people and be like, who are the revenue producers who aren't, we didn't lay anybody off. It's funny. Cause there was, um, I had an assistant that worked for me at the time who, at the time I was like, listen, I, I can't afford your salary. So, and I need like revenue generators. So I let her go. Um, there's a gentleman, I, can, I don't remember who, I can't remember his name, but he just started like a week before or two weeks before. So I called him and was like, listen, unfortunately, man, like we, you know, I gotta let you go. Um, but that was it. That was all we had. And everybody else, all we did was just kind of was like, listen, like guys, we gotta, we gotta hunker down. We gotta get through this. You know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta bear the storm. And now is the time to, to look at where we are operationally and figure out like, what can we improve on? You know, we were so busy. God, we had like, I don't remember the numbers, but I think my software team alone and going into 2020 had like 119 jobs on their, on their desk as a group of like four people. Right. So overwhelming business, like to a point of like, like they're like, they're calling clients, but we can't work with you. Like they're yeah. calling us being like, Hey, can you guys handle these jobs? And we're like, no, we can't. Like we don't, we don't, we physically don't have the capabilities right now to handle the business. So all of a sudden we, we, we were not so busy anymore. And it was funny. Cause I was like, I just remember talking to everybody. I was like, this is the time to, to all the things that you wish you could have done better. Now's the time to do it. Right. Now's the time to strengthen your operations. Now's the time to get organized. Now's the time to clean up your inbox. Now's the time to, you know, organize your list and your files and your folders and become operationally stronger. Um, now's the time to organize the ATS, um, our applicant tracking system. You know, now's the time to really do these things because let's face it, we really don't have a lot else to do. And um, it's really funny because we all, the core of us, I think we still had about 12 of us at the time. Well, all of us turned around and we all looked at each other kind of on Zooms and these things. We're like, this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to this company because we came out of it closer, stronger, and more operationally sound than we ever had. Um, we, all we did was just keep up with people. How are you? How are you? How are you? Um, and everybody was like, no, we're going to make it through this. We're going to make it through this. And all of a sudden people started hiring again, but it was remote. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that was in the 2021 and we know how that kind of the, how, how that's gone from there. So how, it, look, the market's boomed, right? The market's gone bonkers. Oh, boy. And it, you know, the 2020, end of 2020 and the whole of 2021 was, was nuts and 2022 saw a pretty strong year. But how did your business change? Because you, you know, you've gone on to win best staffing firm to work for in the USA, right? Um, uh, North America. Yeah. Yeah. North America. Sorry. So incredible. But you go from a 15 person business in central New York, which right. I was 15 people in, in East, in an office in East London. And now we're, 38 people globally with 75% of our employees in South Africa. And we're completely different, right? Three years mm -hmm. later, not even, not even similar. 
what about you? So what, what's the, what's been the difference in the way you guys operate and where you set up and how you do it? Um, what's been different. I think the first and foremost is, um, well, we have a set of company laws in the, in the culture of the organization, which is awesome, which I think that sets everything up, but really how it's different is when you're hiring people remote, setting down the foundation of like understanding that, like, listen, you, no one's looking over your shoulder. Like we're not, we're not a company that's big into KPIs. We, mm-hmm. Everyone knows what numbers they need to hit in order to do it. And everyone knows that like, listen, if you don't hit your numbers, you don't make any money. Yeah. Welcome to sales. Right. Um, so the whole belief system and everything about the company, it was a little bit, it stayed the same. So nothing ever really changed. It was just now that you're sworn in an office. Um, that's really what it came down to, to be honest with you. So like, we didn't really have to change much. We just had to adapt. You know, my old philosophy is like, well, it's evolution, right? It's evolution well, or extinction. I'm like, we're just going to evolve with the time. Your vision the, but your vision for the company was to be based physically in Manhattan, right? It's yeah, initially, it was, yeah, everything was going to be in New York. And I wanted to open up different divisions all over the yeah. all over the country. And I was like, I, I thought about like, oh, Charlotte's going to be a great office. And Portland, Oregon's got a big market out there. Yeah. So um, what was it about COVID well, and, the, and the remote working environment that we were forced upon that made you think we're going to stay this way? Um, when I started talking to people that I wanted to hire, that would never work for me because we were in New York city. Right. And now they're like, well, I'm upstate New York, but now that you're remote, yeah, I want to join you. I'm like, all right. Uh, when people started flourishing remotely, that was the big thing for me. I actually gave, so in August of uh, 2020, I don't remember during the pandemic where that little slowdown, right? Mm. And I gave everyone, I was like, listen, if you guys want to go back to the office, sign a waiver, um, work out schedules with each other so no one's like, you know, next to each other, you know, all those weird social distancing things that were going on. And no one went back. People that were in the city, I was like, why aren't you going back to the office? Like, I'll be honest with you, Chris. First of all, I don't want to keep you back to the office. Second of all, I'm kind of kicking butt from home. I really enjoy it. And I was like, all right. So I let the audience... I let the company just kind of dictate to me. They're like, listen, you guys basically told me we don't need to be in an office anymore. So I got out of the lease, shut it down. And I told everybody, I'm like, you you don't have to work from home, but you can work anywhere you want now. We're just not going to be in an office. And at first it was like, oh, I was like, but all of a sudden people like, wait a minute, I kind of like this. Hmm. And I think that was the biggest thing that happened with people. It was just like, wow, you know what? Like, I really like this. And it gave people a better opportunity to really enjoy their life, you know, as opposed to the, you know, there's like New York's big, but there's, you know, some of us were hour and hour and a half commutes each way. So rather than spending an hour and a half on the train each morning, you know, now you had an hour and a half with your family, with your kids to walk. So where you, you live now, tell us where I moved to South Carolina. I moved to Greenville, South Carolina last, uh, last summer. Is that where you grew up from? No, I don't even know anybody here. I, (sighs) No, we, my wife and I were just scouting around, living by the mountains. We wanted to get out of the New England area, you know, out of Connecticut, out of New York, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, somehow stumbled upon Greenville, South Carolina. And we were like, the city's beautiful. We want to live here. And then that's it. And we moved. So wow. now we're here. Wow. And so, you uh, and your employees are all over the U.S. All over the place. Yeah. So uh, all over the place. And we do everything we can do to stay connected. You know, we've flown around and saw people and, and done some team events and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know. Here's a message from our newest sponsor in 2023, The Recruit Hub. 
Are you thinking about starting a recruitment business in the UK or the USA? If you've thought about it, if you've got any desire to start a recruitment business in the future, or you might have just started up and you think, am I doing it right? Then you can download a startup blueprint and access key information. Information relating to funding. How much money do you actually need and what are your options? Knowing where you stand. You know, what is your non-compete and do you have any restrictions you really need to consider? Do you need a co-founder? What do you need to know about going alone, going with someone else? How to automate your way to billing faster. Business planning basics, things like what is a business plan and how do you write one? Um, and then how do you come up with a name and build a brand? Now, if you are interested in taking this document, our newest sponsor are giving it away for free. They are called Recruit Hub and you can get it at recruit-hub.com forward slash startup hyphen blueprint. The link to this message is in the show notes. So go away, get that free information and see if you're capable of starting a new business or the business you've just started, is it set up for success? Let me know. So what, what's your working pattern in the week? Like how do you communicate and what's the, um, what's, what's, what's in place if someone doesn't have a setup at home and doesn't want to work? How do, how do you get around that? Well, they need to have a setup at home in order to work there. So they, we, can, we can't hire somebody who's not set up. So a big part of the interview process is like, all right, what is your setup to work remotely? Um, and then so right off the bat, it's like, okay, that's what we do. Um, we buy them a laptop. You know, everyone's Mac based. Yeah. So buying a laptop, it's got a, it's got a, you know, the, the camera on the top of it. So we're in pretty good shape every morning. The teams have a, so we're team based. We've got six teams that are high specialized in each in, in their technology sector. So every morning, um, nine, nine thirty, so whatever it is, they have a, basically it's, it's kind of a scrum mentality, yeah. the, the kind of a scrum methodology run. So every morning, um, they have a meeting group talk, what's going on, uh, who's got what, you know, everything from sales based, you know, et cetera, et cetera, big wins and what are we talking about? And then that's, they do that every day. We do a massive team one Monday mornings. Um, most of the time it's a lot of, it's just like the overall spotlight, you know, how are we doing? We celebrate our big wins from the week before, um, some chit chat and some stuff like that. So, but for the most part, that's every, everybody talks every day to each other very consistently. Um, we have Slack. A lot of Slack messages that go out, you know, whether it's, we have a Slack channel, it's called the animals of a verity. <laughs> so everyone's in flashing out pictures of their dogs and their pets, you know, yeah, all yeah, sort yeah. type of stuff. We've got a, uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, we just, I think at the, the important thing is we've done is understand that you're remote, but not disconnected. Yeah. You know, so what we've done is we've, we've done similar. We've got um, people in the UK, South Africa, Portugal, and we've got, Everyone works from home, but we do have WeWork, global WeWork licenses for people who, who want them. And, you know, we've got a number. We haven't got everyone, but we've got a number. And like today, they're all meeting up in Johannesburg. And I know they'll be nice. in Cape Town and they'll meet up in London. And so we're thinking about maybe creating like a one day a week. for, for If there's enough people in, in a given city, we're thinking one day a week. But I guess if yours are really dispersed, then you might have to think one day a quarter or one day every six months where you come together, right? Yeah. So what I'm going to do, so we just got back from an awesome, this amazing leadership retreat down in Puerto Rico. We, I flew all the, the leadership team down there, really kind of set the, you know, set the tone for 2023, what we're going to go after, how we're going to accomplish it. You know, a lot about your state and, and um, getting yourself really prepared to, to take this on. Um, 
we got so much out of it, but it was really the connection. So it really dawned, not so much dawned on me, just reminded me how important the connection is. We still have a lot of people that are in the New York area, not in the city anymore. So I was just told people, I was like, guys, if you, like once a month, if you're close to each other, figure out a way to get together. Drive, find a central location. You guys, we got so much out of this. Have lunch together, have coffee, whatever you need to do, get together. And whoever's in the area, try to do this minimally once a month, schedule it like every, the first Thursday of every month, you, everyone's going to get together. What I'm going to focus on doing is once a quarter, up, road trip it, um, you know, work on the, you know, gather those frequent flyer miles and, and start and, and, you know, get up in the air. Um, Cause a lot of people work for me and I think it's important for me to get out there. So once a quarter, what I'm going to try to do is minimally get to New York, you know, see all that kind of the core crew that's, that's still in and around the area up there. Yeah. But also if I've got other people, other places that I really need to see, you know, get on a plane, go out there and see them. Yeah. Makes sense. I love it. So how do you win the award that you win? What do you think? What, what was, what was in, uh, what was in the, I don't know what the word is. What, what, what did they say was in your business that enabled you to become the best staffing company to work for in North America within your size bracket? So I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Uh, you get these, you know, I think the nice thing is you get the, the surveys to fill out. You know, would you recommend this job to a friend? You know, yes, no. On a scale from one to five, how happy are you? Five, you know, yes. But I think it's also the essays. They have these essays that you write at the end of it. You know, what makes this company so awesome? You know, what's your belief system, the management staff, et cetera. And the, they filled out their honest assessments of really working here. And I know that they have all these people that are work for SIA and they read this stuff and they deem that like, wow, like look at this company. Yeah. These guys are obviously the best company, best staffing company to work for. So I don't know all the parameters on how they do the voting system, but it was very important to me. One of the core things I've always wanted is to, I wanted to win this award more than almost anything I've, I could have. And I think yeah. that was one of the, probably the most um, successful moments for me so far in this, in this story is winning, is winning that award for me. Um, we're in a new category this year because we're in a different size bracket. So I'm excited yeah, yeah. to see the, the results this year. They, they get announced in March. So, but I think we'll, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we took it home again, but we'll we'll see. I love it. What I guess when you're looking at the future, what's what what's ahead for you now? So you're at a point where you've got 30 employees, you're remote, you're winning awards, you've got a cool life, you know, you're in an office in your own city, you're flying around meeting people. I mean, from for many people, you've made it, right? You're at a point where you're in a great job, great business. You know, you got a great life. What's the future and what's driving you now? Um, happiness. And I think it's a, it sounds generic and, and corny, but honestly, continue to love what I do and love the people I work with and continue to give them opportunities to strive, be better and be a better version of themselves. No different than, than I'm doing for myself. So if there are people that want to get into management seats, you know, we want to give them that opportunity. If there's new markets to attack, we want to give them new, give them the opportunity. If there are, um, 
you know, depending on how the, the economy goes, you know, really, if people go back to an office and they become back to more territory based, whether it's New York or Chicago, Atlanta, whatever it is, you know, that we're going to give people these opportunities to flourish. And so my biggest thing is, you know, we're going to let the people drive the process, not the process drive the people. So I'm not going to put people in situations like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to open up a new group in April. Let's go. And it's like, wait, okay, hold on a second. Versus like, you know, hi, I see that you're doing really well. How are you? Are you happy? Do you like it here? What's the next story for your career? And we've had some people say like, I would love to manage. I would love the lead. I would love the train. I've had some people saying like, I just, I love the money I'm making. I just want to be a biller and that's all I want to do. And it's like, great. I think it's awesome. So my biggest thing for the future is just continue to let amazing people do amazing things and help them, you know, give them a foundation and a good, a good ground that they can do it. If they can be themselves and they can prove to the world like, yeah, I'm, you know, loving it here. And I love this job and I love what I do. And, you know, I've got a beautiful life outside of work. Um, and I've created great friends inside of work. You know, some of them, you know, some of them I've never met. Um, yeah. but we're, you know, I think we're, we're good friends. So it's, that's what I really see it going on is just continuing to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing. Have you got like a timeline or a growth number or something you're working towards? I, um, no, I don't, to be honest with you. I don't, I'm not, I don't let numbers dictate how we're doing. I let the, the company, I let the people that work for the company help me understand what's really happening. You know, boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. I really understand like, are you happy? Are you doing well? Are you flourishing? Do you love what we're doing? Um, how's our candidate base? How's our client base? You know, what can I do to help you guys out? You know, what can I do to, to get you really what you need? And so that's really what I look for. So I really let the people kind of help gauge how well we're doing and really what's going on. Numbers, I think numbers are going to be a byproduct of everything else on top of all that. If, if amazing people are doing an amazing job and they love what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, the numbers will climb, right? Because your candidates will hear it. Your clients will hear it. They're going to be like, we love working with you guys. You're awesome. So the numbers will go up. So I don't turn around and say, obviously, we have goals as far as like this number and that number and profit margins, et cetera, et cetera. We have all those things, but I'm not tied. Success to me isn't tied to those numbers. Um, success is tied to me who are people who call me and say, I love this job. I love what I do. And I love what we're doing here. I, I'm, you know, whether whatever the economy is, I'm in. I don't really care. You know, it's the economy is not going to be better at another company, right? No. You know, the market's not going to be better at another firm or another location. So, you know, that's, it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I get it. If you like where you work and you like the people you work with, then you're happy here. And that's all that really matters. So that's the biggest thing for me is that's how I gauge, you know, really what we're doing and the success. And it's not, you know, again, it's, it's fun because everyone's like, oh, you have to have measurable items and actions. Like we have measurable items, you know, there's revenue and there's profit margins. You know, I get all that, but I'm not going to let that dictate you know, my, you know, my version of success. It's like, no, everyone's, if people are happy and love what they do, that's successful. How are you finding the economy right now? So obviously there's a lot of talk of we're in a recession globally and, and, you know, negative, I think the news is incredibly negative on this side of the world. I don't know it's like in the U S but the, the actual small print, I feel like when, and, and, and I mean that, you know, in, in the context is that small print in life, 
you know, whenever I actually talk to people about what's going on, it's pretty positive. You know, even the even the energy crisis and the cost of living's gone up, and but people are still packing out restaurants and spending. Mm-hmm. Like, holiday, the, the travel companies are, are publishing the biggest biggest sales in years for people going abroad. So, you know, there's the signs that the economy is really good. Recruitment recruiting firms I work with on the whole are really busy. Like there's still challenges, but they're in a good place. So what, what are you seeing in your firm right now? Very similar, to be honest with you. Um, companies that were clients are, are tightening things up a little bit. I think what it is, is this idea of kind of weathering the storm. Hmm. Most of our clients are Fortune 100, Fortune 500. So we've got some really large brand names with deep pockets. So they're all going to you know, they've all been through this before. And personally, I've done this through you know, two recessions and a, and a pandemic. So this is just a correction in the market. Um, I've seen a lot of, there's, there's, it's, it's slowed down. You know, I think it's what happens is they're hiring hand over fist and there's a lot of money coming in. They're spending a lot of money and all of a sudden they're like, okay, we're in a place where the, like, we just can't keep doing that. So we're still going to hire, but it's a little bit more strategic. We're still going to hire, but we need to be, you know, smarter on our spend. Yeah. Um, the beautiful part about technology is technology still runs pretty much everything we do on a day-to-day basis. So you can't stand still. You can't stop producing um, you know, the data that's going on out there or cybersecurity, right? You can't all of a sudden be like, you know, the economy's tightened up. We're going to, we're going to cancel our cybersecurity plans. It's like, no, as a matter of fact, like that's the number one thing that people are talking about right now is like cybersecurity data breaches and all these types of things that are going on. So they're like, yeah, we need to like, we need to enforce it. So things have slowed down. I think it's, um, I'm going to say this is like, uh, good news doesn't sell, right? Fear sells, bad news sells. So if you tell everybody, oh, there's a recession and everyone's laying everybody off, you're going to believe it because it, it, it is happening. But everyone forgets that they hired in the last two years, you know, I'll say this out loud, you know, Amazon hired, in the last two years, Amazon hired almost one and a half million people in two years. That's a lot of people. So mm-hmm. for them to lay off 18,000, 18,000 is a lot of people. But hiring one and a half million, no one talks about that number. No. no. Or Meta or Microsoft and, and these large brand names. Like no one talked about how many people they hired over the last years to get to a point to like, we probably overhired, overextended ourselves. Yeah. And now we need to correct it a little bit. Yeah. So I think it, inflation is a big thing. You know, the dollar is just not going as far. Labor costs a little bit more. Um, but I think all in all, I'm kind of the same way. I was like, People are genuinely positive. I think there's a lot more education out there right now as well as far as what's going on. There's a lot more. Um, we've been through this before. Hmm. You know, we, it, it happens. It's, you know, what goes up must come down. So, you, you know, this, the corrections in the market happen. What are you going to do? I mean, this is like, it can't just keep going up. It's, you know, no, it's, no, no, it's no, not no. the way it works. No. So I think this wasn't like, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of things like when you saw how much money got printed and how much money we put into the economy during the pandemic, yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. inevitable that, that yeah. this was coming. So I'm seeing it's, I'm a lot of people are very positive. A lot of the people I know that are, are in tech uh, that I got laid off are getting jobs within a couple of weeks to a month pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're very talented people and you can't, they can't, they're not like, they're not in demand. Makes sense. So there's just different industries you're not reading about right now that are still flourishing that are going to do really, um, my, my predictions are there's there's some industries that have been a little bit more dormant or like those middle markets that no one it may not be exciting right you know insurance and healthcare aren't really exciting industries for a, a data scientist you know but 
tons of business, very much in need and very much hiring. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they're they're still going to do well. I like it, Chris. It's been a pleasure. We've gone well over an hour, which has just yeah. gone like that. I, I feel like I've only just got started, but um, I, I really appreciate your energy and, and the story. And I think what you've done is incredible. You know, you're in a you're in a really cool place now. You've got a great business, and um, you know, I'm sure this episode will inspire a lot of people just listening to your energy and your passion at the point of your career and how long you've been in recruitment and long you've, you know, your agency is eight years old and you still, you still love it. I, I get the vibe. You still love it, which is, I think, you know, it's part of the part of what I want to get from this show is to show people, you know, being an entrepreneur is tough, but you can, you should love it. You know, mm -hmm. you're really going to do well. Um, if anyone's listening and wants to reach out and just ask you any questions, they're just inspired. They want to pick your brains. Is that okay? If they message you on LinkedIn, you'll reply. Absolutely. And, yeah. Um, I'm, my profile on LinkedIn is is a public profile, so you're welcome to, to message me up there. Um, I get so I'm, I'm I do relatively good about getting back to people on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, you're always welcome to email me as well. And it's just my it's actually I think it's publicized up on LinkedIn there as well. Right. So wicked. Um, Chris, keep in touch. We'll get you back on the show in the future. Um, have a great 2023, and uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. It's been my pleasure, Sean. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode is brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.